Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truths and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we have the opportunity to talk about, is walking good for your knee osteoarthritis? Now, oftentimes the community perception is that we walk too much and that that may be damaging to our joint health and that our joint may only have so many steps that it can undertake in its lifetime. Walking can be an excellent form of exercise and physical activity for people who have osteoarthritis. Walking is low impact, inexpensive, and safe pretty much for everyone. Despite the apparent benefits of walking, not only for managing osteoarthritis symptoms, but also reducing the development or progression of other chronic diseases such as heart disease and diabetes, many people are simply not doing enough. This may be due to many factors, including, but not limited to beliefs about exercising with osteoarthritis or pain associated with osteoarthritis flares. And on this week's episode of Joint Action, we're joined by Dr. Grace Lowe to discuss what research has been shown about walking with knee osteoarthritis. Dr. Grace Lowe is a clinical researcher with a focus on osteoarthritis since 2001. She's an assistant professor at the Baylor College of Medicine and chief of rheumatology at the Michael E. DeBakey VA Medical Center in Houston, Texas. She received her rheumatology training at Boston University, where she also obtained a Master's of Science in Epidemiology. 
She's been working with investigators of the Osteoarthritis Initiative, a cohort of people who are either at high risk for or already had symptomatic radiographic knee osteoarthritis at the time of enrollment into the study. And she spent much of her research efforts conducting studies using data that has emanated from this cohort. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's good to see you. We don't get to see enough of each other these days. So even if I can do it remotely by Zoom, it'll be a pleasure to spend a little bit of time with you talking about this important topic. Before we get into the main content, though, in an effort for the listeners, because I know you so well, for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better, can you just share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like? Sure. So I work at a VA hospital in Houston, Texas. So I'm a rheumatologist and I, I do see patients some, but I do try to spend most of my time doing research. So I have clinic and I see patients who previously served in the military. And, um, you know, we see a lot of different kinds of patients. We see people who have osteoarthritis, which is obviously the topic that we're talking about here today, but we also see all sorts of other kinds of patients who have arthritis, including gout, rheumatoid arthritis, bundle arthropathies, you know, lots of different kinds of causes of pain and joint problems. And so, like I said, that's only kind of like one part of what I do. A lot of, of the other things that I do are working on research. So there is a lot of different opportunities that I um, have had over the years. Some of them have included working on uh, this database called the Osteoarthritis Initiative, which obviously you know very well, but it's a huge database of people who have osteoarthritis or who are at high risk for developing osteoarthritis. And it allows a lot of people who are interested in osteoarthritis to uh, work with one another or to have access to the large amount of data that we can look at important questions. And then another thing that I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm running a... Um, a clinical trial at the VA. It's my first one. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, and it's been very challenging, I have to say, partly because of COVID. That has definitely put a big kink into how we've had to run the study. And it's um, made things a little slower than <laughs> what we would have liked, but, but it's been an interesting effort. And then, of course, we also have trainees who we work with. So I am uh, also affiliated with Baylor College of Medicine. So we have fellows that we train and their medical students that come through and residents and that sort of thing who are learning about rheumatology. So um, we interact with them as well. You sound like you've got a very, very full plate. And from <laughs> the perspective of the Osteoarthritis Initiative, a number of the guests that we've had on the show have spoken about that particular cohort before. And it's, a, it's as you say, it's a wonderful resource. It's fantastic that that's been made publicly available. And I think uh, many uh, researchers are actually cutting their teeth and getting into that data, which is absolutely superb. Tell me a little bit about the clinical trial. What's the aim of the trial that you're working on? So we're looking at hand osteoarthritis, and I have this maybe a little crazy idea. <laughs> it's an orthosis that I think will help to slow down the progression of osteoarthritis and to hopefully mitigate some of the pain that is associated with it. So um, what we're doing is we're testing this orthosis, which the idea is, is that there's some data about this modality distraction that's effective in knee osteoarthritis. And so my idea was to try and translate that into hand osteoarthritis and my idea of how to operationalize it was to use, they're called like finger traction devices, and to use that as a um, way to implement that in hand osteoarthritis. So, <laughs> so that's, that's the um, trial. 
I'll be very interested to see how you go with the trial and obviously uh, very interested to see the results. Is that just to get traction? Is that through a magnet or is it through some some other mechanism? No, it's, a, it's kind of funny, actually. Um, have you seen those little toys that kids use um, to pull your finger? Can you pull your finger? <laughs> So right now there's actually a medical grade device that uses these finger finger traction devices to provide traction when people are having surgery on their wrist, right? So they put these traction devices on all of your fingers and then they hold it up and then that um, allows the weight of the arm to cause traction in the, in the wrist. So the sort of collateral sort of effect is that you also get traction in the fingers. Wow. And have you taken that home and given the boys a play with it? <laughs> I have actually I had to look around to find <laughs> to find something that would work. I actually first looked at some of these little toys um, and uh, they, they didn't actually work very well. They kind of break kind of quickly. <laughs> so I was happy to find that there is a medical grade device that was already, you know, it's already FDA approved. It's a device. And so we'll, we'll see if it works. Very cool. So speaking of the boys, when you're not doing your day job, what is it that you like to do? Well, it's mostly um, being a chauffeur. <laughs> So I have three sons. My oldest son is 13. My middle son is 11 and my youngest son is six. So um, we do a lot of soccer. Um, my, my husband played soccer in college. And so um, there's a lot of soccer <laughs> in our life, a lot of driving around um, to practices and to games and that sort of thing. So uh, there's a lot of that. Um, and then just, um, hey, man, I'm starting to walk more. My paper has motivated myself to go and, and do some more walking. So. <laughs> Well, that's always a good thing. And pass on my best to Sam. He was very kind and gracious enough to grace us with his presence on our soccer field way back in the day. So it was, it was good fun. Now, Grace, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? So I would say that I'm a little corny, but I would say that I work really hard. I'm pretty conscientious. I am pretty critical sometimes of what I hear. I don't like to believe everything that I hear. And uh, I try to be, I try to be kind. I think that's five. Is that five? <laughs> that's five. I think you do a great job of all of that. And uh, you seem like you really enjoy what you do, which is, I think, always another positive thing. Now, you've just published a paper, which is garnering a lot of interest. And I think from a public health perspective, has some really, really important messages. And I think the listeners will find it very useful. And it's obviously around the topic of walking and its potential prevention roles in the context of the evolution of osteoarthritis. But before we get into the main content of your paper itself, what do guidelines say about walking and physical activity and are people actually meeting the guidelines? So, you know, there are lots of guidelines out there about physical activity, including um, the CDC guidelines in the United States, but there's also WHO guidelines. But we are recommending that people get moderate to vigorous levels of activity multiple times during the week on a regular basis. And so this is a guideline that is recommended across all ages. And there are lots of benefits to this um, and that goes from cardiovascular health, uh, diabetes, obesity, um, high blood pressure, um, and prevention of some cancers. And so th these are guidelines that are already out there. And so for the United States anyway, um, the CDC guidelines were first put out in like 2008. And around that time, 
the number of people who were estimated to be meeting those guidelines was around 45%. And they updated these guidelines in 2018. And they have been sort of monitoring how well people are doing as far as meeting that level of activity. And we're around like 55%. So, you know, I think that the guidelines have helped in the way that it's drawn attention to the importance of this effort to try and get people to be more mobile. But we're not really close enough to being <laughs> there. 55% is still kind of an F. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there are improvements, but we have a long way to go, I think. And then I would say that there's actually data from some of our data sets that are focused on people who have osteoarthritis and that percentage of people who meet that guideline is actually much lower. So, you know, understanding what the impact, and I guess we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the understanding the impact of walking on osteoarthritis is very important in this particular group of people because there actually has been some controversy about whether or not walking is actually potentially harmful in osteoarthritis. So I think that's part of the importance of the trial that we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's wonderful. And obviously a quick recap. And if you want to dig more into the the recommendations with regards physical activity in the context of osteoarthritis, please take a listen to either the episodes by Dan White or Mariana Wingood, who've previously spoken on the podcast. You mentioned, Grace, that obviously people with osteoarthritis are, I guess, substantially under what the guidelines would recommend. What proportion, roughly, based on the, the literature that's out there in terms of the, the percentage of people actually meeting the recommended guidelines for physical activity with osteoarthritis? Like 10 to 15%. So yeah, lots and lots of room uh, for improvement, as, as you said. Now, tell us a little bit about your study and what previous studies have shown with regards walking in osteoarthritis and what you've actually found. So there have been some small randomized controlled clinical trial studies that look at short amounts of walking, and they do find some benefit from the perspective of reducing pain and increasing function and decreasing the amount of pain medications that people use. But they're very short-term studies, and um, they don't look at people over sort of several years or look at people's behavior over a longer period of time. And so that is a big difference to what we're looking at here. So those small clinical trials did show benefit. There is also a study that was done in Australia that gets um, reported a lot that looked at people who walked 10,000 steps as the cutoff. And what they found is that there were some MRI changes amongst people who exceeded the 10,000 step mark that made people concerned that there might be some harm that's occurring in people who walked, you know, sort of a larger quantity. And so I think that's really generated a lot of concern with respect to potential harms that are occurring with walking. So what did you actually show? What did you, what did you do in your study and what, what did you demonstrate? So what we did is we looked at people within the osteoarthritis initiative and we administered this questionnaire where we asked people to look back on their life and to, to actually first to consider whether or not they actually did walk or exercise. And then we asked them some specific questions with regard to how often they did it, um, like how many years they did it, how many months per year, et cetera, so that we can sort of roughly quantitate how much they walked. And then we also looked at symptoms using the frequent knee pain symptom uh, question. 
which is, you know, just sort of a coarse question, but it's a yes, no. Like, do you have pain on most days of the month in the last 12 months? And they just answered yes or no. And then we looked at x-rays. So meaning that we looked to see whether or not there was radiographic evidence of osteoarthritis in their knees. And so what we did was we took people who had NeoA and we only looked at those people. And then we uh, looked at their walking status and we looked to see um, a bunch of different outcomes. But for the ones that we looked at were, um, did people develop frequent knee pain? Did people have resolution of frequent knee pain? Did people have worsening of their overall knee radiographic score? And then did they have worsening of the medial joint space compartment? So the, the medial joint space compartment is like the middle side of the knee. And that's the area where a lot of people get damage in their knee. And so what we wanted to do was um, obviously at the beginning of the study for each of the outcomes that we were looking at, you could didn't already have the outcome at the beginning. Looking at the outcome of whether or not people develop frequent knee pain at the baseline visit, they weren't allowed to actually have frequent knee pain. So amongst the people who had radiographic NeoA, but no frequent knee pain, the people who walked were much less likely to develop frequent knee pain after four years of observation compared to the people who didn't walk. So the difference was like 37% amongst the people who did not walk. And then the people who did walk, it was like 26%. So there was like 11, 11% difference in the people who, who actually did versus um, did not walk. And that translated to like a, an odds ratio of 0.6. So like a 40% improvement in, in this particular outcome. So, so that was like the biggest finding. The, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that amongst people who did already have frequent knee pain, so we wanted to see like, did people have a resolution of their knee pain? And when you looked at walkers versus non-walkers, turns out it actually didn't make much of a difference. So like the message here is that prevention really might be sort of the key. So once you've already developed the frequent knee pain, you know, you kind of <laughs> may be a little stuck with it and the impact of walking may not be as beneficial. So then also when we looked at the structure changes, so the medial joint space and the Kellgren and Lawrence grade, the Kellgren and Lawrence grade, the overall knee score one didn't actually show statistical significance, but the direction did look like it might be beneficial from a walking perspective. And then for the medial joint space narrowing, like looking over four years, that actually did look beneficial, um, even when we looked at the adjusted model. So that actually also made me interested in wondering, um, because we know that um, osteoarthritis is so biomechanically driven, I wanted to see if there was a difference based on static alignment. And it looks like the benefits that we saw, like in the overall group, were actually best in those who had a varus alignment, which means that people are bow-legged. And I thought that was super exciting because, you know, this is probably the most common uh, sort of form of OA that we see. And I think that's actually the group that we were the most worried about because when people walk, the load goes through so much medial compartment. But what we found is that that's the group of people who actually did the best. And so I think it was very encouraging to, to see that. I think at the moment, the community perception for many people is that too much activity is not good for their osteoarthritis and the joint only has so many steps that it can use in its lifetime before it's likely to deteriorate. But in contrast to that, yours and other studies are really reinforcing the fact that this is not making the disease progress. It's not making your symptoms worse if you've got symptoms. And if anything, the converse, is that fair? Yes, I entirely agree. Yeah? Yes. So... You obviously 
quite clearly demonstrated in this in that people that don't have knee pain that do have osteoarthritis at least radiographically in their knee that this might appear to play a little bit of a preventative role in the progression of their disease yeah why why do you think that it's having that effect so this is just conjecture because I didn't actually look at this specifically, but I, I really think that it's a, you know, it's easier to maintain your joint than it is to fight an uphill battle after you've already sort of lost your muscle mass and you've lost your strength and you've lost your ability to, you know, know where your knee is very well, the proprioception sort of aspect. And so I think that it's about maintenance, right? So just like maintaining a car. You do better if you change the oil every 5,000 miles than if you like let it wreck. <laughs> after not changing it for, you know, 30, I mean, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know all that. <laughs> how well that analogy goes, but the, the general idea that daily maintenance is, uh, is the key, I think. Yeah. So let's dig in a little bit further and hopefully provide some more practical suggestions for people that do have osteoarthritis. And I appreciate that, you know, other studies have looked at the volume of steps. You've looked at minutes and the duration over which people have walked. How do you find out if they are meeting the recommendations? And if they're not, what advice do you give to them in terms of starting walking? So I guess, to be honest, I don't normally like strategize specifically about looking at overall physical activity guidelines, but I, I feel like that our message here is to just get out and walk however you can. And so I, I don't think that there's actually enough data to really support giving specific recommendations about how much you should walk for your knee away. But we already know that there's lots of physical activity guidelines for lots of other reasons. And it doesn't seem harmful from an OA perspective. So I guess that's the way that I would put it. I think that it, it makes sense to sort of follow the guidelines that are already out there for physical activity. I think if you have uh, knee osteoarthritis, using a choice of walking as um, an activity to do is potentially additively beneficial. So that's a good reason to, to choose that particular activity. Uh, th that's kind of the way that I would look at it. And I think that, to be honest, we actually looked at people dichotomously, like just yes, no walker, and then also with some higher level of detail as far as how much people walked in, like the volume of walking, it didn't make anything worse. There was a suggestion maybe that the, the amount of walking that people did might be a little beneficial. Nothing was statistically significant. That's why we ended up leaving that part out of the paper. But, you know, I think that a clinical trial to really look at the benefits of walking from a longer term perspective, I think would be really great. And I think, you know, really in this day and age where we have all of these devices and we have our smartphones and they're tracking us all the time. I mean, this is a really great opportunity to start thinking about how to to mobilize those technologies to get people to be more active and to do more walking. So. Great suggestions. As you say, I think the key thing here is actually having the motivation to get up and just start walking. And, you know, I think that volitionally is probably the most important thing in the first instance. And then, you know, set yourself some goals around what it is that you, that you want to do. And there are wonderful ways out there, whether it be through wearables, a smartphone, or different things to track your activity. And ideally, I think, as um, Mariana suggested on a recent episode, try and do it with someone so that that way, hopefully you get that social interaction that's happening at the same time. Now, I know that it wasn't part of this study, but it's a really important question. What about running? Is that safe for people with osteoarthritis of the knee? 
So we did actually look at this question as well, and we published this paper um, a couple of years ago now, but using basically similar data, but people who chose to walk, it was, it was a smaller percentage of people who actually um, ran compared to walked, which I guess is not really surprising. But of course, you have to really consider that these are people who chose to run, right? So this doesn't eliminate that there might be some people who, when they run, they, they might actually have a problem. But of the people who chose to run, because for whatever reason, they didn't have any worse symptoms. They didn't have any worsening of their um, osteoarthritis. I mean, radiographically. And actually, surprisingly, there were actually people who had the worst grade of osteoarthritis, like Cogan and Lawrence grade four, who are actually running. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it didn't seem to make their disease get worse. They didn't have more joint replacements. So it didn't seem harmful. That's fantastic news. And obviously for everybody who's out there who's staying active, whether that be walking or running and is benefiting from that, don't stop, you know, keep going. The message about being active and exercise as medicine is really, really out for you. And we're hopefully going to do an episode in the not too distant future about running and how people with osteoarthritis might continue to run. So a quick note before we dive into the second half of this episode. Now, we love getting your feedback, things that we should focus on, things that we're doing well, and ideas for new topics to discuss. These mainly come through our email on hello at jointaction.info, but we would love to hear more through our Twitter account at jointaction.org. There, you can hear from your fellow listeners, and we can have a lively discussion about new topics and questions that you might have. So again, that's at jointaction.org on Twitter, and we look forward to hearing from you. And just another quick plug, oftentimes our best means of dispersal and dissemination of this particular podcast is through recommendations. So if you have a friend who you think might benefit from the show, please do recommend it. Now, Grace, again, primarily because we're going to get a little bit personal here. We want to know a little little bit more about you in the rapid fire round. Okay. So I'm going to give you a quick question. You just come back with a quick response and I'll try not to be too pejorative on this end. Favorite book? Uh, Tipping Point. It's a great book, that one. Favorite movie? Uh, Pride and Prejudice. Dog or a cat person? Neither. <laughs> I like babies. Favorite quote? Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. That's a Henry Ford. I like that one. Yeah, this is uh, very Texan. <laughs> what do you mean? Nothing I didn't say. Did I say that out loud? He's not from Texas. <laughs> no, but you are. What, <laughs> what's your favorite food? Um, probably Thai food, maybe. Very cool. Do you have a bad habit? No, none. <laughs> I'll ask Sam. What do you think? My son says I laugh too much. <laughs> Where would you next like to go on holiday? Uh, to the beach, much like you are. <laughs> yeah, well, you can never get enough. What superpower would you have if you could have one? I would like to cure osteoarthritis. <laughs> or COVID. <laughs> yeah, both wonderful goals. I hope, you, I hope you do both within your lifetime. Now, if you could meet anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? You. Oh, Grace. That's wonderful. I'm pleased that you're laughing about it, though. What would you do if money were not an issue? 
Oh, that's really a tough one. I don't know. If money were not an issue and COVID were not out there, I would travel the world. I think I would, I think yeah, that is so fun and to see how other people live and to experience other cultures. I think it's um, so great. So I, I kind of miss that. I really haven't traveled that much since COVID. Oh, well, hopefully you get back on a plane soon and get out there. Now, if you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? I do think that the strategy of prevention um, really needs to be emphasized more. And I, I really, I do think that this effort towards getting people more active that you've really taken on um, has been really fabulous. And I think that the international effort is so great. And so I really applaud you for that. And I think, you know, if we can um, make that a more expansive effort, I think that would be great. Yeah, no, it's so, so important. If you can get in there early, and make a difference early in you know the course of evolution of either risk factors or the disease it's so much more malleable at that point in time than waiting until a lot later and reacting to that situation primarily because i'm continuing to learn from everybody who comes on this podcast i'm really interested to see what you say about this next one but how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things within your role you know, I would say that even though it's been hard um, with COVID and that sort of thing and meetings are not as easy to go to, I think that really meeting with uh, our colleagues and um, being able to share ideas and uh, going to meetings and hearing like the abstracts and, you know, the new studies that people are working on and being able to engage with them and to talk with them about like how they came up with their ideas. I think that's, that's really it. You know, um, obviously you need to read your journals and that sort of thing to keep up with things, but I think that is actually the most fun. And I find that it's actually the most informative and that's when you learn about what else is going on. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a highly stimulating environment, isn't it? When you get to, to network and cross fertilize and hopefully develop new collaborations with people. And as you said, I think, and maybe this is just the dinosaur in me. You're not a dinosaur. But I think the <laughs> <laughs> I think the so kind, but I think the face-to-face -face interactions are so much better than the uh, remotely delivered ones, and so that's why it was wonderful getting back and doing some face-to-face -face meetings this year after having a couple of years on the sidelines, so to speak. Now, this is more with, with relevance to the topic of the day, Grace. But are there any particularly patient-friendly resources that you think would be valuable to share? about the content area that we've spoken about today? There is a group out of North Carolina who have put together this resource, Walk With Ease, and it is um, a really a great way to try and motivate people to get together to walk. They they do provide the thing that you were talking about, which is, you know, sort of goal setting, Then and they show you, um, at, you know, they encourage people to walk together and that sort of thing. And so um, that is online. I think there is a small fee that's related, related to it, but it's meant to be a very small sort of nominal fee to try and just get people going and uh, motivated to, to walk. Yeah, so we'll provide a link to that. So that's a program that's been developed by the Arthritis Foundation in the US, but is actively being promoted by the Osteoarthritis Action Alliance, which is the group that Grace was referring to in North Carolina there that's led by a wonderful person, Lee Callahan, who we've had on the show before. It's a wonderful resource. And so for people who are out there who are wanting to do this on a more regular basis in a more structured way, that Walk With Ease program is absolutely superb. Now, Grace, again, because I'm still learning from you. Why do you do, why do you do what you do? What motivates you? You know, it's funny that you say it that way. I actually learned it from you. <laughs> 
you know, I do what I do because I think it's actually, it's fun. I think that learning more about an area that is really in dire need of more treatments, more understanding about the disease that's so widely uh, problematic and causes so much disability, you know, like, I think that there's so much that we need to do and to be the detective and try and figure out the things that we need to sort of do to understand uh, the disease, to find treatments that are beneficial is, it's very gratifying. And then uh, the other thing that I remember that you told me is don't ask a me too question. You need to ask the question that has not been asked before. And I think that that is a tricky thing. I think that people um, a lot of times um, sort of gravitate towards the easy thing, which is like just doing the the next little tiny step that doesn't really move things forward. But the harder thing to do is to really sort of push things forward and, and to think outside of the box. And um, I really credit you for that. Well, thanks, Grace. So it was absolutely my pleasure having had an opportunity to work so closely with you for so many years. And if I've had a positive influence, even better. (laughs) You have definitely. I guess really applaud those motivational pieces because I do think, as you say, osteoarthritis is a disease that you know has a massive impact on so many people and there's so much improvement that can be made to the way we detect disease, the way we manage the disease, the public health interventions that we've been talking about today. So it's, I think, critically important that we make big strides, not necessarily to denigrate the small incremental steps, to make big strides in the way Uh, we understand and and manage this disease. Now, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I think it's, I mean, I think if I can be self-promoting on our study that we just um, published, I think that, you know, getting out there and being active, I think it just has so many benefits that, like, and it's not just sort of centric to osteoarthritis. It's it's really for overall health, for well-being, is to just, get out there and be active. You know, I think that lots of people are trying to um, send that message anyway. And, uh, you know, maybe if I were a better um, advertising guru, I'd be able to give you something catchier. But I think that sentiment is what needs to be out there. I think that, uh, you know, we could be the Nike, just just do it, <laughs> go out and walk. Uh, I think that would be fabulous. So. Now, you probably won't relate to this at all, given our previous experiences in pubs and drinking alcohol. But- <laughs> There's a, there's a brand called Johnny Walker that you're probably unfamiliar with that often has these signs that say, just keep walking. I wonder whether this is actually an opportunity for us to do something with Johnny Walker. <laughs> All right. You didn't like that idea. Let's move on. I've actually heard of Johnny Walker. I'm not familiar with the quotation, but I'm going to have to go look it up now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give for people with osteoarthritis in closing? I, mean, I think act early. Yeah. Act early. Yeah. Being proactive is a whole lot better than waiting for it to take hold. So yeah, if you can get ahead and empower yourselves with hopefully some of the knowledge that Grace has given you today, it will really go a long way towards helping you to manage your disease better long-term. Now, Grace, that hopefully draws us to a close, unless you've got any other tidbits that you want to share, but I really want to say thank you. It's been a privilege having an opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you today to hear your insights, to hear your laughter, to hear the enjoyment that you bring to the work that you do. And I really hope you continue to make the positive impact that you are doing. Well, thank you so much. It's been uh, lovely catching up with you. So just in closing, I'm hoping that you found the content of today helpful and really reinforcing that important message about 
the importance of staying active and the role that walking can play in preventing the onset of symptoms and potentially preventing further progression of the disease. In the first instance, the most important thing is just to consider it and to start. Oftentimes that first step is the most difficult. If you're finding this challenging, go and visit someone who can help you, such as a physical therapist or an exercise physiologist to assist in that regard. Set some goals that are personal to you, but ideally try to get to a point where you're meeting what we would recommend from the physical activity standpoint, which would be in the order of 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity. Again, though, the most important thing is to keep this personal and relevant to you and hopefully do it in a way that's socially engaging and durable longer term because the adherence to this type of activity is critically important in this disease, which can run for a long term. Thank you so much for the support of the podcast, your attention, your listening to what we had to say. Hopefully you're gaining a lot from it. Between now and when we next speak, please do take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, visit www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.